All right, we'll go ahead and get started again. And I, actually, for Sister Peggy came up, she mentioned something about Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, and it's actually a, a good introduction into what we're talking about uh, with with this next next section. And I've got more more verses to deal with in this next section than I did in the in the previous one. Um, but it has to do in in verse uh, verse nine, chapter three of Second Peter. It talks about uh, that 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 the Lord here actually it's it's, it's Yahweh, even though that's not not what's uh, mentioned in the Greek. But that that would be what uh, was intended uh, by the by the writer. But not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, not willing that any should perish. Uh, it's the fact if, if 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 people already have an immortal soul in them, then then why would there there be this desire by God that people should not perish, uh, or should not not pass away? And that's that's a big when we talk about the issue of the immortality of the soul or having an immortal soul already in us, this issue of perishing that we see throughout the scriptures becomes a becomes a sticking point uh, for that that kind of argument. Uh, but that just just be aware of. Uh, of that in that passage, and, and, and another thing that comes to mind, if these kind of these kind of verses are thrown at you, take a look. Or again, context. Take a stop. Don't panic about what they've thrown at you. Take a look around the verse before, the verse after, considering the passage that you're dealing with. Hopefully, you've got some good notes already put in your in your Bible. You'll find the answers that you're that, that that you're looking for. If you're not remembering what you need to remember, what you think you need to remember, those answers and solutions to your to your problems are, are right there. They're right there. You just have to stop and think about what what is what is being talked about, what is being considered. Now, the second portion of the way that we had this set up was lesson number two, which is questions regarding eternal life and immortality. Now, this is. Unfortunately, has become an issue within the household itself, and I, I don't want to get into into the details of that per se. But there is some confusion that has arisen regarding the terms of eternal life and immortality. Now, there's some very important foundation principles that you need to understand that we all need to understand if we if we we truly understand this whole concept of of eternal life and immortality on the whole. Because if we get confused on some small points, or what may be considered to be small points, then begins a chain reaction and how we understand all the different scriptural passages. And what we'll find is that we, that we keep sliding in that direction of being confused about the term eternal life or being confused about the term of immortality is that we will have absolutely no leg to stand on when it comes to our arguments with those of, of popular religion. It's just common sense and it's common logic. There's a slide that begins. When you start compromising or start twisting around some very critical passages, we begin a downward slide to where we're going to end up exactly where uh, the people of the world are in their view of an understanding of eternal life and immortality. That's not a stretch for me to say it. It's how it happens. And so we have to be very careful. First of all, foundation principles. Write these down. Number one. Eternal life slash immortality. I want you to write this definition down. Somebody may have a better way of saying it, but this is this is something that I've I've gleaned from 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 different Christadelphian writers that I think is uh, is spot on. 
and it's not complicated, it's not rocket science, but it's simply stated, eternal life slash immortality. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about why I have a slash there. It is the condition of living forever, write this down, the condition of living forever, the condition of living forever in incorruptible bodies. It is the condition of living forever, eternal life, in incorruptible bodies, immortality. A condition or a state of being. Incorruptible. What does incorruptible mean? What does it mean? It can it can it can mean without sin. That's that's part of it. In regards to living forever, though, what would incorruption? If I, if I am incorruptible, what does that mean? Can I can I die? Can I can I can I can I? Will my body deteriorate as I age? Okay, no, it's it's incorruptible. It cannot it cannot corrupt. It cannot be have corruption. When you go on the side of the road, it's a, maybe a, a kind of a gross example, but you see a, an animal that's been 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 hit, you know, on the side of the road. It's it's dead. What 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 happens to it? It it corrupts, doesn't it? It it dissolves. It goes into nothing. You know, if you have what we call perishable foods, if you have have have, have a vegetable or a fruit or something out or a piece of meat, okay, if you don't do something with it, it it corrupts. Correct? Well. That's I, I I know it's a simple concept. Maybe I'm 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 weighing a little bit too heavy on that. But but simply put, the condition of living forever in incorruptible bodies. Now, point number two. This is even more critical because this is where confusion is arising. Point number two. Both words mean the same thing. And what they imply, they mean the same thing. Both words essentially mean the same thing. We're talking about eternal life and immortality. They are interchangeable terms. Now, confusion is being being created here is because some are trying to pull those two terms apart and saying eternal life, no, that means one thing. And immortality, that's, that's something else. No, they are interchangeable terms. I, I can't be any more forceful in expressing that. Okay? Romans chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Write that down and look it up. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And the Diaglot translation of this is even better. I don't have that. I didn't write it down and I don't have my Diaglot with me. But uh, Romans chapter 2, verses... Does anybody have a Diaglot with them here today? In a briefcase or something? Okay, I don't see. Right there. Uh, we're going to read it out of here and then Brother Virgil can read that verse for us out of the Diaglot. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Where, where are we in our in our... Reading order. Okay, according. Okay, and so the terms immortality and eternal life are both used there, but it's 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 
Eternal life is explaining the word immortality, at least how it's set up in our translation here. And our translation is enough, but the, but the diaglot is, is, is a little clearer. Brother Virgil, can you read that? And incorruptibility. So, and I think if I remember, it says aeonian life, which is everlasting life, and it has semicolon, right? No, or just a colon, and then it explains what it, that's basically everything that follows is an explanation of what is being stated by that aeonian life. At least how at least how he has the punctuation in the diaglot. It's been a while since I've looked at that. Maybe not. That's okay. We'll, we'll move on on that. They're, but they're taking a look. But anyway, the, in this verse here, we see that those two terms are directly connected with one another. They're not, they're not separate terms that mean something slightly different or different. They, they, they're connected to one another regarding this hope of eternal life, this future principle of living forever. Now, the original word for eternal life or life eternal, it's found two different ways. The, the, the words are flip-flopped. Or Zoe Aeonius, you don't have to write that word. Uh, it was kind of, it was spoken of in the diaglot as Aeonian life. It appears, and I want you to write this down, we'll call this point number three. The original word for eternal life or life eternal. In the Greek word, again, you don't have to write it down, Zoe Aeonius, Zoe, it's two different words, Zoe, which means life, uh, Z-O-E. And Aeonius, which has reference to the ages, uh, A-I-N-I-O-S. This original word appears some 30 times in the New Testament. It appears some 30 times in the New Testament. While the two original words... Now, when we talk about immortality or incorruptibility, there are two, actually two Greek words that go along with that. But even with those two words, the two original words that are rendered immortality or incorruption only appear a total of nine times in the Scriptures. So anytime we see uh, uh, everlasting life or, or life everlasting, the original Greek word or phrase, I should say, that's, that goes along with that appears some 30 times in the Greek New Testament. And then the words that go along with immortality or incorruption are a total of nine times. So the dominant phrase, the dominant words that are used in reference to this hope of living forever is the phrase eternal life or life eternal or Zoe Aeonius in the original. Okay, that's, 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 that's a good fact to know. Now, point number four. And you'll have several little bullets under that. This hope is a matter of future reward and not present possession. It is a matter of future reward and not present possession. Now, we're going to get to it in just a moment, but there are some that would say, well, 
Yeah, but there's a certain aspect in which we have eternal life. Now, we don't really have the, the immortal spirit in us, but there's a certain way that we've got it. Well, no. And there's some scriptures that people trip over regarding this, but we'll get to that in just a moment. But let's, let's, let's establish the fact that the hope of eternal life is something belonging to the future. That's what the scriptures emphatically teach us. Okay, Galatians chapter 6, 8. Look it up. Write it down and look it up. Galatians 6, 8. Okay, so this is talking about our current life and, and how, we, how we conduct ourselves during what we call our probationary period. Uh, if we reap to the flesh or if we follow after the things of this world and pleasing ourselves, then we will reap that. That will be our reward when Christ returns. Meaning, of course, we, we know that that is destruction. But he that soweth to the Spirit or follows after the things of the truth, the word of truth, that they will reap this life everlasting. It's not speaking of something. It's not something now possessed, but something, again, that is yet future. Okay, that's, that's, that's kind of clear, but not as clear as some other passages. Let's go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. We've been in Colossians once. We're going to be there again. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Okay, here refers to the fact that, that our life, or this, this, it, it doesn't say hope of life, but the context is the whole, this hope of life is hid in Christ. Okay, Christ has it. We don't have it yet, but Christ has it. This hope of eternal life. We're waiting for Him in order to be granted this, this life. Now, again, not quite as clear as some other passages, but it, but it builds up. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6.12. Okay, this is speaking to the believers, and it says to take, to lay hold on eternal life as if this is a future goal. This is a goal in mind. What we do and how we act now decides whether or not we get a life eternal later. So this is something yet still belonging to the future. Lay hold on eternal life. Well, if upon baptism they already have this eternal life, there's nothing, they've already got it. There's nothing for them to actually actively seek after. They've already got it. Well, they don't already have it. And so this is something that they are still striving for. 2 Timothy 1, 1. Of course, we already read our passage in Romans chapter 2, very, verses 6 and 7, which is very, very explicit regarding this. 2 Timothy 1, 1. Okay, what it, is it something now possessed or is it something else? What does it say here? It's a promise, right? It's a promise of something yet to come. Where is that life? Where is it? Where does it say it is? In Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus has it. Okay. 
not something yet possessed, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Of course, the phrase life eternal is not used here, but the, but the context is very clear of what we're talking about. Now, let's go to Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Okay, now, hope. Is something a matter of hope if we already have it? If you are, if you are hoping for some ice cream at lunch today, okay, let's say you're already sitting there and you're listening to me, you got your bowl of ice cream. Are you hoping for the ice cream or do you already have it? You already have it. It's not a matter of hope. You've got it. Okay, but if I say, you know what, we're going to have lots of ice cream, I can't promise that, but if we were to have a lot of ice cream at lunch, you're already starting to think, okay, I hope that I can, I can get to that. Now, that's a, that's a much lower example to use, but that's, that's the, the principle that we're talking about here. It is a matter of hope. Hope is not hope if you already have what is being hoped for. If you already have it, you don't have to hope for it anymore. You've got it. Okay? Go to Romans 8.24, which, which emphasizes this point. It's not so much about life eternal per se, but, but it is. Romans 8.24. Romans 8.24. It's all right. So, we are saved by hope, but hope that is, that is seen is not hope. So, if we have already have it, it's something we can see or already have possession of, it's no longer hope. Okay, well, what we are promised is the hope of life eternal upon baptism. It is a promise that goes along directly with this hope of the future kingdom. Okay, now, let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. Okay, so this is a promise. It's a promise, a matter of promise, just like hope. It's something still yet future. It's not something currently possessed. It is a hope. That's what the Scriptures speak of it as. And that's very, very important. Now, with those, those thoughts in mind, and there's, there's other things that can be, that can be uh, connected to this and considered, but keeping this, this, this simple and straight to the point, there are some verses in the Scriptures that give the impression that life or everlasting life is something that we've already got, that we already have it. Now, the problem comes into this. These passages are used by the world to prove that we already possess eternal life or an immortal soul in us. And that their eternal salvation is secured. When they're baptized, or they don't even do that anymore, when, you know, when they're saved, you hear people say, are you saved? Or I've been saved. They think that their, their immortal soul that's in them has been secured for, for eternity in, in the heavens. That's how some people view it. It's also viewed by others, and this, this is something that's coming up with, within Christadelphia that we've got to be very careful with. It's also used by some to say that we spiritually have eternal life when we're baptized. That when we're baptized, that, that, that really we, that 
eternal life is something, the phrase eternal life means it's something that we've, we've got. We've, it's a sure deal. We're set. We're saved. And for certain, we're, we're gonna, when we get into the kingdom, we're going to be accepted. Period. No questions asked. You're in. Uh, and then we'll, we will later get something which they refer to as immortality. They separate eternal life from immortality. They say immortality is something that you get when you're baptized. It's kind of a spiritual thing. And then whenever the kingdom arrives, then you'll be, your body will be changed and you'll be given uh, immortality. Well, that creates all kinds of, of problems that we've, we've, we've talked about. And that's not what eternal life means. And that's very important. Let's first of all go to John 3.36. Let's look at some of these passages. Because you do need to be aware of them. And both those of the churches and those, those who are confused about this issue within Christadelphia are, use these, use these same passages to try to prove their point. John 3.36. Okay, John three thirty six. Now, it, it makes a sound like, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Now, again, I'm going to point to the fact, we looked up that passage in Romans where God will speak of things now as if they already exist, when in fact it's something that still belongs to the future. And Christ, we could say, maybe is using the same language here, but we'll talk more about that in a moment. Let's go to John chapter 6, verse 54. Whose turn is it? Okay, this is Christ speaking. This is Christ speaking, saying Hath a, that, that if you if you if you eat of my flesh, eat of my eat of my blood, meaning partake, being partakers of his sacrifice, that you have eternal life. This makes it sound like, well, then you know, if, if, if we're baptized, that we we have eternal life. It's what it sounds like. Okay. Now let's go to John, First John, excuse me, five thirteen. There's some other places, but these these pretty much cover it. First John five thirteen, the first epistle of John. Okay. Here's here the Apostle John is making it sound like that we have eternal life. Now, this kind of use of the term of eternal life as a present possession is exclusive to the Apostle John's writings. The only place you're going to find that kind of language used, that kind of tense in regard to the phrase eternal life is only found in John. Okay, it's not found in other places. So what that tells us is that there's going to be that that, that language is is of a spiritual sounding language. There's going to be clear explanations found in other places, and we've looked up some of those passages. That's why we've established some foundation principles regarding that. Now, 
We are able to understand more difficult passages by those scriptural passages that speak in plainer, unmistakable terms. And we've looked up some of those places. And also, we've already read it this morning in Romans 4.17, where God will often speak of those things in, present, in a present tense form, like speaking of being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they were dead. Okay? They were dead. But He's th- speaking in terms of when they will be raised and be in the coming kingdom. Now, we've already provided a list. I kind of flip-flopped how we, how we did this here. I wanted the foundation principles set first before we even considered these, these individual passages. And I'm not, I don't have this set up to go to each one of those to, to explain away or ex- explain those, those issues as each one, but they, they, they have a general tenure about them that we, that we consider. We've already provided a, a list of verses that prove the everlasting life is not to be given until Christ returns to the earth. That is solid. Okay? Additional passages that we can look at. Go to Matthew chapter 25, 46. We looked this up yesterday, but under a different context. Okay. Whose turn is it? Okay. Yes, verse 46. Okay, this whole passage was speaking of when Christ returns to, the, returns to the earth. The wicked go into everlasting punishment, which is destruction or death, but the righteous into life eternal. It is at this point, at this point, that the righteous will pass into life eternal. Now, for those who say, again, this is pretty easy with those of the world that say that we already have a, 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 an immortal soul within us, okay, that's, this doesn't even come close to matching this. For those who say, well, at baptism you get eternal life, but you know, when Christ returns you get immortality, well, that, that doesn't, this doesn't, doesn't jive with that either. Okay, it's the principle that we do not get eternal life, period, until Christ returns. So when we read those passages where it speaks in that present tense term, what, what, we, what we conclude from that is it's speaking of the hope of life eternal that we're granted. When one is baptized, they're given the hope of it. It's a, it's, a, it's a guaranteed hope in the sense that if they do the things that is required of them, that they will be granted eternal life when Christ returns to, to the earth. But that's as far as it goes. It's not something that is possessed. It's not something that we have within us in any way, shape, or form. Yes? Yeah, there's and there's that's a whole other subject. We talk about the books. Of, there, the, there are books, and there's a tra- actually a transfer of the names to a permanent record that will be a, at Christ's return and at the judgment. So there's a transfer of, of names there. So that's the, the the book of lives or the book of life. That's that's 
another issue there. Yes, it can be blotted out or not transferred to the to the additional book, which is again that's a, that's another another layer to that to that issue in of itself. But we have to be very clear that what we are talking about is it is a hope. It is a matter of future hope and not of, of present possession. Let's go to Romans thirteen eleven. Now, the, the phrase eternal life or immortality is not even used here, but it, it speaks of this salvation, and that is, that is part of the salvation that is to hope for, uh, is this, this, this rescue or preservation from death, uh, which is eternal life or immortality. Go ahead and read that. For now our salvation is nearer than when we believe. Paul speaking here is, is not acting like that that's salvation. And those who say that we have eternal life now, they say that we're, we're, we're saved. We're, we're, we're saved. And there is, when we're baptized, there is a sense in which we are saved. And I'm not going to go into that in detail. But, but the salvation that we are talking about is that permanent salvation and rescue from death. Uh, or in other words, eternal life or immortality. And Paul had not yet received it. He was still hoping for it. They were, he felt like they were getting near to that point, but that was not, not something that was possessed by Paul or the believers that he was speaking to. The salvation had not yet been obtained. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Okay, this is speaking of the angels and that their oversight that they have over believers. The angels have oversight over the believers. And it says, those who are heirs, <coughs> excuse me, those who are heirs of salvation. It is something that we are heirs of. It is something that, but you're not an heir. You're, when, once you've received it, you've received it. But if you're an heir of something, it's something that you have not yet received. This is not something that they had yet received. Okay? Now, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. Okay, again, that term, the hope of salvation... Again, if, if, it's, if it's something that is now currently possessed, it is a present possession, then it's not, not something that we are hoping for anymore. Okay, Once the kingdom arrives, and if we are blessed enough to be a part of the rewards of the kingdom, it's not something that we are any longer hoping for, because those things will be turned to a possession and, and turned to sight. So those are the issues that go along with that. Now, there's a lot more that could be said on this. This is a whole... The whole subject in and of itself, but in regards to how the, the verses are twisted and reversed to mean things that they don't mean, we have to have some quick answers to how that, how that actually fits together. And we have to understand when it comes to this issue of everlasting life, it is a matter of hope. It is a matter of salvation that belongs to the future. We are heirs of it. It is something we still hope for, but it is not something that is currently possessed. It is a guarantee, it is a guarantee to the righteous 
I mean, we're not going to get to the judgment seat and there's going to be a change of mind. Well, you know, I promised this this thing of eternal life, but we'll, we'll do something else instead. You know, we'll give you extra 50 years to live or something like that. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is that, the, that for the righteous, there is a guarantee, there is an absolute promise that these things are going to be given to the righteous. The inheritance of the land, eternal life, rulership over the kingdom. Those things are a matter of a guaranteed promise if we do those things that are acceptable to God. Now, moving on. There's more that could be said here, but moving on. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 21 and 22. Please look that up. This gets them more into the direction of the issues of immortal souls and immortal spirits. 1 Kings 17, 21 and 22. Okay, this is this is the instance of Elijah who was, was, there was the, the child uh, that died, and Elijah performs the miracle of restoring life uh, to this child. Now, this is used, it's, it's, it's a kind of a quick reference, it's used to support the idea of a mortal soul, and that the soul leaves the body at death. Okay? Because we have this language here. Now, you, I know you all have had classes and have subject matter, you may have notes in there, but to review what we're talking about here, the term soul is from the Hebrew word nephesh, N-E-P-H-E-S-H. At least that's how we spell, spell that Hebrew word, nephesh. And it's translated all kinds of different things, but, but mainly it is translated life. The word life is from this word nephesh. We're not going to look it up, but that can be found in Genesis 9.4, Leviticus 17.11, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 23. Okay, that's just a few examples. And then we have the word soul in the New Testament. It's from, the Greek, it's from, a, from a different word. It's a Greek word, suke. P-S-H... U-C-H-E and is translated life it's translated life in Matthew chapter 2 verse 20 Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 to name a few and there's some great Christadelphian reference books that we have that you can look up I think of the uh, The Great Salvation by Brother Thomas Williams uh, world's Redemption that give long list of uh, these other passages that you can look at that have the same that, that the usages of these, these this Hebrew word and this Greek word so, and if you it's very it's a really good exercise to take a look at those and write those down in your Bible so that you have a, a massive amount of proof in regarding to how those words are actually used. These are just a few examples. Okay, we take a long time. It take a whole class period just to go through and give you all those different passages. Now, 
We're going to ask some questions here. First of all, what was the problem with the child? We're going to state the obvious here. What was the problem with the child? What was his problem? It was a big one. He was dead. Yeah. The child was dead. That's the first thing. He was dead. Now, what caused him to become dead? What, what caused him to become dead? What did he lose? What? He lost his breath. Oh, you're jumping, in. you're jumping ahead. You're jumping. He lost his soul. The Bible says he lost his soul. <laughs> he lost his soul. At least that's what somebody would say. He lost his soul. So, when you, so if you lose your soul, you die. Okay? Well, how might he may be made alive again? How are we going to make this child alive again? What did Elijah do? What did, he, what did he do to the child? What did he restore? He restored his soul. He restored his soul. That's, I'm just going based upon what, what the passage says. Okay, in, in our translation. He, he restores his soul. Now, Elijah did do this. Okay, Elijah did, did do this. And then, the question that we run into, though... And there's many questions that can be brought up here. If the child had an immortal soul, if, if, if soul here, if the word soul means some kind of immortal entity, what benefit was there if this child had died and his immortal soul had been freed from this, this bondage of, of, of our body, what benefit was there for Elijah to restore the soul back into the child? Was he doing him any favors? No, he wouldn't do him any favor at all. I mean, if we have an immortal soul in us, wouldn't, wouldn't you rather be, you know, someplace else, wherever this this heaven is, or the you know the, the great place to be, the so-called? I mean, it, it sounds like a much better deal than living on this earth and all the things that we have to go through here. So Elijah was not doing the child any favors by bringing him back to life. If if in fact what we're talking about here is an immortal soul, so we know here clearly what we're talking about is we are talking about the, the, the in regards to Nephesh. We're talking about life. He lost his life. He lost his breath. And we know that the breath is what energizes us. Okay, He lost his breath. So therefore, he died. Elijah laid over the child and restored his breath. And therefore, in verse 23, what does Elijah say to, to his mother? What does Elijah say? What, is, what does he tell his mother in verse 23? Loud. Your son liveth. Okay? His life had been restored. Well, if he had an immortal soul, he never died. He never died. His immortal soul went off somewhere. But that's really the true person. That's, that, that's an easy explanation for what we're talking about here. And this is not really... A, well, if you understand what Nephesh is, that it does represent life or it can represent breath, okay, then we have a clear understanding of what we're talking about here. His life was restored. His breath was restored. And therefore, he could say to the mother that your child liveth. And he was restored to life again. Okay, something that's similar to this, let's take a look at Genesis thirty-five eighteen. And you don't know have to, you don't have to know Greek words to 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 quickly 
direct people in the right direction when it comes to this passage. Genesis 35, 18. This is in regard to the death of Sarah, Abraham's wife, Sarah. Oh, I'm not sorry. Why am I saying Sarah? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Rachel, not Sarah. And, and so this is speaking of the death of Rachel. And it speaks here of her soul was in departing. Her soul is in departing. It sounds like her immortal soul is getting ready. It's ready to be launched into the heavens somewhere. Okay, by that language. And that's how it's used by, by people of the world to prove, hey, her, she was ready to go to heaven. That's what's happening. But that's not the case at all. Please notice in the parenthesis. What does it say in the parenthesis in that verse? Verse 18. That she died. Correct. That she died. That's what happened to her. Simply, she died. Those who believe in a mortal soul insist that the life and the body are two separate things. But this cannot be done. They believe that when the life has gone or departed, they think it must go somewhere. But when we think about ter- terms of, what about when, when, somebody, when somebody goes deaf, what do you say about their hearing? If somebody goes deaf, what do we say about their hearing? That person has what? Lost their hearing. That person has lost their hearing. You know, you say you say that about somebody. I, I, I've, I've taught band for years, and and we're going to be doing that again. But I, I have noticeable hearing loss. Okay. Well, I've lost some of my hearing. Well, where did it go? Is my hearing some individual spirit or entity that goes out of my ear and I lose it and it goes somewhere else? Well, no. You're laughing about that. I mean, it, it is. It's, it's, it is that ridiculous. Well. What about when? You, what about your eyesight? If your eyes start to dim, what do people say? That person is what? Losing their eyesight. Well, where does your eyesight go? Does some little spirit come out of your eye and it goes off somewhere? Well, no, no. Or I mean, the, the examples are endless. What about what about when a light is extinguished? We'll say the light has done what? The light has gone out. Well, where did the light go? It didn't go anywhere. It just it, it's just it's 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 gone. It's finished. So there's all kinds of examples that we use in our own language about something that goes out or something that leaves. When it comes to to Rachel's life here, her her soul was in departing. Well, actually, what we're talking about is her life or her breath was in departing. It went out of her. It was it was it was finished. It was finished. She died, and that's simply what is stated there uh, in the translation. She died. Well, she had an immortal soul. She didn't really die. That's what people try to tell you now. All that, you know, we'll hear people in the world that die. Oh, they're, they're not really, they're not really gone. Or they're not really dead. You know, they're off, they're off somewhere. They've gone off. That's the comfort that they use with, with, with one another. But the fact is, when it comes to Rachel, she died. There was an end to her existence and an end to her consciousness. Okay. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16, 26. Okay, now, this is used by, again, used by the church world. This is supposed to be conclusive evidence of the immortality of the soul because it talks about losing your soul. I've heard even people say that person's going to lose their immortal soul. If they don't straighten up, they're going to lose that immortal soul. Thinking in terms of that they're going to, they're going to end up 
you know, in hell. That's that's the loss of their immortal soul. And so that again creates problems in and of itself. Try inserting here, if you look at this, try inserting the phrase immortal soul into the passage. Okay? Now, in verse 26, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his immortal soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his immortal soul? Right there, it's, it becomes a very ridiculous passage. Okay? And again, I know that in the church world, they say, well, to lose your soul means that you, you go to hell. But really, if you're immortal, that's not really losing anything. Okay? Being immortal is being immortal. So, again... We have to be very careful, and sometimes just pointing out how ridiculous that is can, can, can make a difference. But the Greek word here is suke. And so what we can insert here is actually the word life. Okay? If a person loses their life. And what we're in, in, the, in the sense of here, it's somebody who's working towards gaining the whole world. They've, they're a worldly person. They're trying to gain, gain all the riches and wealth of this life, of this world. And that's not going to profit us when it comes to gaining eternal life in the kingdom to come, is it? Okay? We're not going to be given any kind of reward if we do everything that we can to get our reward in this present life. And what it's speaking of is talking about the reward to come. We have no opportunity. If, we've, if this is the world that we're, con- that we're concerned with, this is the life that we're concerned with here, that if we do not work towards that coming kingdom, which we've read in other passages, then... We have no hope or no hope of life eternal in the kingdom to come. Uh, look at verse 25. Back up a verse. This, this, is, this is further explained here. Do you notice that the word life is used in verse 25? It's from the same, the same Greek word, suke. They, so the translators will translate it here in verse 25 as life. But when we get to verse 26, they decide that they're going to translate it as soul. Well, that's not being very consistent. Okay, it didn't didn't fit into their to their view or their world world view of the immortality of the soul or the spirit. So in one place they they cheat a little bit. They put soul, and then back in verse 25 they they stick with the word life. So one verse translated life, and in the very next word verse it's translated soul. But life is the correct translation. So when we're reading that, it should be life. It is not has nothing to do with the idea of an immortal soul. Okay. Now we'll consider one more passage. Or do what we need to go ahead and okay. Well, we'll consider one more passage that's that's related. It's along the same same chain of thought. Let's go to Matthew chapter ten, verse twenty-eight. And again, young people, this is the way the way I designed this, the way the way that we're approaching this is kind of we're, we're hitting a verse, giving you some some things to draw upon, some quick notes that you can put in your Bibles. There are other there's much more explanations to some of these passages than what than what we're considering. Some of them we've gone into more depth with so that you have a proper a proper idea of what we're talking about, how it fits into into larger context. But some of these we've kind of hit. I call it kind of hit and run. And, and I understand this. So don't think just because we've, we've hit some of these verses, some of them I spent more time than others, that that's, that's the full story of everything that we're talking about. There's a lot more to it. I think back to what we were talking about with eternal life. 
There's a lot more to that subject uh, than, than, than just what we, we, we discussed and what we talked about. Uh, some of these, these passages that we look at, losing your, losing your life or losing your soul, there's, there's more to that than, than what we've, we've been able to consider. But Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Let's take a look at that. Okay, this is another one. Okay, fear, fear not them which can kill the body, but them which can kill the soul. Now, you already run into a problem already. If I have an immortal soul, there's no way anybody can kill my immortal soul. So that's already, there, there's already a problem right there with somebody. That's something to point out. And it's always, their ideas are so ridiculous that it's always good to kind of put that into proper context and show them how ridiculous that thought is. But when we're talking about, when we're, what we're talking about here, context is extremely important, uh, as it usually is. And what the context is found in verses 16 through 32, we're not going to read all that, but the full context is verses 16 through verses 32. Mark that down. Put a bracket around it. Do something with it that you, you know that, that there's a larger thing to be considered here. And what this is, the context of this is teaching is talking about the preaching of the Word and the persecutions that would follow. For the believers that would preach the Word, okay, more specifically here, Christ's disciples and His apostles, those who would preach the Word, that they would be persecuted for the things that they said. Now, if we've already mentioned this. If we insert a mortal soul here, and fear not them which kill the body, but are able to kill the immortal soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both a mortal soul and body in hell, okay, we see how ridiculous the, the, the claim is, because if something is mortal, it cannot be destroyed. Period. Um, inserting the word life here does not completely satisfy the context. Okay, how we, how we translate some of these, the use of, of, of suke here, okay, that, it depends on the context because we're going to find it used in many different ways. Um, inserting life for soul does not completely, completely satisfy the context, though we think uh, we could think in terms of the hope of eternal life. Uh, the diaglot says this, and I like the way the diaglot tra- translates this. It says, Be not afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot destroy the future life, but rather fear him who can utterly destroy both life and body in Gehenna. Now, suke is sometimes translated as mind. Sometimes. Uh, write these down. Acts chapter 14, 2 is an example. Suke can sometimes be translated mind. Acts 14, 2. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Now, this is what, this is what the verse means. The apostles and disciples were not to fear the torture and beatings of those that would persecute them. That's what they're being taught. Don't be afraid of these people that literally will do harm to you. Physically, will do physical harm to you. They were not to be afraid of these people. Their mind, their mindset, or attitude could not be affected. Okay? 
Also, there's no way if they do the right thing that their hope of eternal life could be affected. Okay, These people are not the ones that we answer to. It's God that we answer to. And it's God who will give the reward that we, we, are, we are striving for. These individuals, the apostles, the disciples, all followers of, or the, the faithful followers of Christ that followed, um, they were calm, they were composed, and they were cheerful through their trials. They were calm, they were composed, and they were cheerful through their, their trials. They didn't let fear overtake them. Okay, They didn't let the fear overtake them. Um, Acts chapter, I'm not going to, we're not going to look it up, but Acts chapter 5.41 is an example of this, where they were persecuted and they came away very cheerful for what had happened. Acts 5.41 in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Okay? The persecutors could torture them, they could, but if the individuals were faithful, the persecutors had no control over their inheritance of eternal life. But God does. Okay, God is the one that we answer to. And that's what it's telling us here. It says, but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body. Or, I, I believe this is the context. I believe what it's saying here is to destroy both mind and body uh, in hell or in death, in destruction. Okay? Very important. There's two Greek words here that we need to consider. Kill. The word kill that we see here. Fear not them which can kill the body. Okay? The word kill is from the Greek word, and you do not definitely do not have to put this one down. It's apoktino is the word. And it means to torment or torture. So what this is saying is fear not them which can torture or torment the body. And that's exactly what happened to the followers of Christ. They were tortured for their beliefs. And they're being told, don't fear this. The word destroy, in relationship to what God can do to us, is from the Greek word apolumi. And I know I could not have said that right because it sounds too silly when I say it. Apolumi, apolumi. And what it means is it exactly what we just said and how it's translated. It means to destroy. So fear not them which can, which can torture the body and are not able to kill or torture the mind. Meaning they, can't, they should not be able to get to our mindset. They should not be able to get to you. You've got to stay faithful. But rather fear Him which will destroy the whole thing, the whole package, both our mind and body, if we are not faithful to God. And that's what's being spoken of here. It's not talking about, it's not separating the soul from the body. And that's what the, what the people try to do of the world. They try to separate the two things. And that's not, is, is not what is being taught here. Okay? Now I've got many more, more passages where we're, we definitely have to stop. Um, but I very much appreciate your attention. I know it's real humid in here and it's kind of hard to hear, uh, but you all were very, very, very attentive. I saw all of you writing your notes and I could see lip-syncing lip some of the answers and things. Maybe you're afraid to, to blurt it out, but that's okay. But there's a lot, lot more to this. Okay? A lot more to this, even with the individual things that we considered. A lot more passages that can be considered. 
take the time when you come across them to look it up, ask questions, and take notes. Put it in your Bible. If you've got it on a sheet of paper now, which I saw a lot of you, get it into your Bible. Okay, because you won't have those notes with you whenever those those moments come. Okay, thank you very much.